All right, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to pick up uh, the text in verse 17 this morning, and we're going to go down to verse 24, Luke 15, and this is right in the middle of the story of the prodigal son, and I'm going to use this story to preach to you about this topic today, as you can see just underneath me, the pivotal power of an apology. This story it hinges, it, it takes a massive turn when an apology is decided upon and delivered. So we are going to look at what led up to the apology, the formation of the apology, the following through of it, and then the aftermath of that apology. There are literally dozens of passages in the Bible that shows the pivotal power of an apology. And it would have easily, I could have easily gone to any of those passages and pretty much brought out the same truth. This story is so well known. I, I thought it would, uh, it would do well to communicate the various points that I'd like to, to give you this morning. But the reason that this topic, the power of an apology, why is it so important? Because life is all about managing relationships. And there are two, two aspects, two ways. To think of this, you have the vertical, the relationship between you and God, and then there's the horizontal, your relationship to the people around you. And because of this fact, we make mistakes. Fallibility is the big theological term, human fallibility. We are going to mess up. Amen? We, we mess up. Because of the fact that we're going to mess up. And chances are, if you're as human as I am, and all flesh is grass, so I assume this is true, that the mess-ups, the mistakes, are going to happen more often than you would like. Therefore, it's going to be important that you understand the importance and the power of an apology. Let me, before we even get into the text here in Luke 15, I, I want you to if you have your Bible open, you can keep a thumb there. I want to just show you Matthew 5, just to introduce this sermon a little bit. Jesus is giving the disciples a, a passage about what stands behind the sin of killing someone. Thou shalt not kill. Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Verse 21, he talks about if you're angry with, with your brother without a cause. And if you say, thou fool, right? There's no reason to do it. You're just doing it out of anger, lashing out, you're in danger of hellfire. He shows us where the sin of killing somebody, murder, comes from. Comes from anger in your heart, having a root of bitterness, holding a grudge. Then, after talking about anger, Jesus gives us a couple verses on how to diffuse that problem. Verse 23, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... Now, notice he's addressing the vertical relationship between a man and God. This man has brought a sacrifice to the altar, which would indicate that he is either repenting for something he's done, and this is a, a sacrifice for sin or iniquity, or he is dedicating himself to the Lord, right? That's a burnt offering. Or it could be that he's just thanking God, praising God for various things. And all of those offerings you can find in the Old Testament— He's trying to improve the relationship with God. Jesus says, If thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. So you've gone to church, 
you're ready to make things right with God, but you remember, oh man, you know what? I got an issue. Let's put it the other way. My brother has an issue with me. In this context, you did something wrong to your brother. And it's just crossed your mind again. Wow, I, I haven't yet apologized to him. I haven't made that right. Jesus says in verse 24, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Notice that God is interested in more than just the vertical. He also wants the horizontal relationships in your life to be right. Therefore, it's one thing to apologize to God, and by all means, that is a very necessary apology to make. And you will have to make that apology from time to time, to time, to time. But it's also extremely important in your relationship with people. The need to humble yourself and say, I'm sorry. Very powerful words. I'm going to bring you back to Luke 15. We'll be there momentarily. But let me... Let me give you this definition for the word apology. I found this interesting. Two different definitions for it. Number one, a regretful acknowledgement of an offense or failure. That's how we often use the word apology, right? Mom or dad says to the kid, apologize. You know, you did something to your brother or sister, apologize. What are they, what are they saying? Use definition number one. Express or acknowledge that you feel bad about what you did. All right, so that's, that's an apology. Number two, a reasoned argument or writing in justification of something. Now, this is usually used in a more of a theological sense. Even in the Bible, you find the Greek word apologia or gia, and, and that word apologia is used to give an answer, is how it's translated, give an answer to something. So you are defending something you believe or some action that you've taken. Now notice, it's strange that often what is required in our lives to make a relationship right is definition number one, but we end up giving definition number two. Have you ever had an apology come to you like this? I'm sorry, but, and then for the next several paragraphs, all it is is that person defending what they did and, and actually undoing the apology. I'm sorry, but not really because this is why what I did was okay and you really shouldn't be upset about it. Now, I acknowledge that sometimes you do need to explain why you did something. So please, definition number two is going to come in to play sometimes. But more often than not, definition number two is not going to have the pivotal power of the definition number one of apology, you accepting the fact, acknowledging the fact that you messed up, and, and genuinely saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now, as it a, pertains to the outline here, let's, or to our passage, let's begin in verse number 17 and work our way down through a few verses. First of all, I want to talk about thinking inwardly. In verse 17, I think you know the story of the prodigal son. Thunder and lightning. That was God saying amen. So maybe some of you can also pitch in and say amen. <laughs> you know the story of the prodigal son. The father divided his goods to his two sons, older and younger brothers. The younger brother took 
everything, went into the far country, wasted his goods with riotous, not righteous, riotous living. He lived the party life, and now he finds himself feeding pigs. And he's not even allowed to eat the pig food, but he'd like to. He's so hungry. Verse 17, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. Now, I want to focus in especially on that first part, he came to himself. I don't know how long this young man was in the pig pen. I don't know how many weeks or months it took for him to step back. Now, he didn't have an out-of-body experience, right? But this is a great way to explain it. It's as if he stepped back and took a look at himself. It was another amen. God's really liking this. He, he stepped back and took an honest look at himself. And instead of trying to justify what he had done, he took an honest look. Instead of looking outwardly and blaming others, and if this guy would have done that, you know, if my dad would have showed me this or gave me this, or you know, no blaming anyone, he looked at himself. He came to himself. All right, it's not an out-of-body experience. So when, he, when it says he came to himself, he's moving inwardly. He's looking inside. What did I do wrong? An honest, genuine apology starts with a sincere, inward look. When I lived in Malawi, one of the first words that I learned in Chichewa was pepani. Pepani. I'm going to spell it out for you in the comment section. Pepani, pepani, very, very good, powerful word there. Pepani means sorry, 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 sorry. I am sorry, pepani. Kupepesa means to apologize. So pepani, sure you hear that word all the time, all the time. And as I was moving about, I heard it so much, that's what helped me learn it. I, I said, how do I say I'm sorry? And they said, no, no, that is pepani. That's that word you've been hearing everywhere. I said, okay. Then I started paying attention at, to the context in which I heard it. And more often than not, I'd say a good 90% of the time, people would say pepani when somebody else had messed up. Somebody else would fall off their bicycle, right? Riding down the road, boom, bicycle hits the ground. People would, ru would rush over, take the guy's phone, take the guy's wallet, take the guy's money, uh, sometimes take the bike, and then other people standing there just say, Ash. Pepani, 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 pepani. Something bad had happened. It's not their fault. They're just saying, I think this is the equivalent of how you guys use the word shame. More lightning and thunder. You guys, this was where you'd step in and say, oh, shame, 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 shame. Very rarely in Malawi did I hear somebody walk up to another person and say, I was wrong, pepani. I, I didn't hear it used that often. It was apologizing almost for something else that somebody else, uh, for someone else and their actions and what had happened, but not taking an inward look, not thinking inwardly to say, what did I do wrong? Am I to blame for my situation? Am I the reason that this relationship is not working the way it should? Is it my fault? And this young man, he finally had, he had that moment where he, he took a look inward at what he had done. He had caused this mess. Now you might be saying, preacher, 
that's all well and good, but I'm not the younger brother in this story. I'm not in the far country. And you might think that that then absolves you of the responsibility of looking inward. Let me show you another person in this story that did not look inwardly. When the younger brother came home, obviously rejoicing breaks out and the father is throwing a welcome back party, if you will. The older brother comes out, verse 28, and he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. He said, son, what's, what's going on? Why are you angry? What's, what's the issue? Verse 29, and he answering said to his father, lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Notice he is establishing his own righteousness. He's going about to establish his own righteousness. He is not acknowledging anything that he might have done wrong. He's stayed at the father's house this whole time. So in his mind, he's free and clear. Notice that his attention is focused on what somebody else did wrong. Verse 30 But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. So the older brother is actually accusing two people of doing something wrong. Number one, his younger brother. My younger brother does not deserve this. Look at all of his mistakes. Hey, let's be honest. The younger brother made mistakes. What he's saying is true. But then he's also accusing his father of having too much mercy of celebrating this young man and his repentance. Why would you do that, Father? This older brother, rather than taking an inward look at what he might have done wrong, he is stuck on the outward. I can see what my younger brother did wrong. I can see what my father did wrong. And he is, let's say, hiding behind the deeds of others. Isn't this... Doesn't this take us right back to Genesis 3? Rather than dealing personally with what I did wrong, accepting and acknowledging what, where I have caused the relationship to go askew, Adam, where art thou? He's hiding behind a tree. Adam comes out. And he says, I hid myself because I was naked. Who, said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat that fruit? Yeah, well, you know, it was the woman you gave me. So he blames the woman, but he also blames God. It's the woman, but you gave me the woman. God turns to the woman. What'd you do? The serpent. We just pass the buck, pass the buck, pass the buck, rather than say, you know what? I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A true, genuine apology starts with you investigating inside looking at what you've done this doesn't mean that everybody else is innocent but it's not our job to get everybody else to apologize you're responsible to accept acknowledge and apologize for what you've done let me show you a verse i think that works well with this psalm 139 verse 23 and 24 david gives us some great advice here let's say advice he sets a great example Might I just say before we read this, guys, you don't have to make things up. You don't have to exaggerate the problems and the mistakes that you've made. You don't need to go around apologizing uselessly just so that you appear humble. 
please understand that one of the devices of, of the devil is to get you to fall into over much sorrow. Right? So if you haven't done anything wrong, don't feel as if you need to immediately go out and start apologizing to everybody you see. What I'm asking you to do is take a look inwardly, look at, look at the relationships in your life. Ha, is there a chance that you are the reason something you've done has caused division with the people that God has put in your life? Or maybe something you've done has put distance between you and the Lord. You don't need to make it up. There'll be plenty of things that are genuinely there. David, you say, but Brother Mike, I, I feel this distance from God. I feel this distance uh, you know, with my family or friends or workmates or whatever the case is. And I, I can't really put my finger on what it is. Here's a good way to approach it. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David says, God, I, I realize, I admit I'm a fallible man and there's, there's no doubt things that I've done that aren't pleasing to you. Look through my heart and just, God, put your finger on whatever it is that I need to make right. Search me, try me, and then lead me. You see, David's not getting too carried away saying, God, I'm a total mess. I'm no good to you. So just show me how bad I am. That's not where David intends to leave it. God, show me what I can do to make it right. Lead me in the way so that I can walk with you. Do you see how this also would apply to the people around you, your husband, your wife, your kids, your work coworkers, anybody, any other human being on the horizontal plane? If you suspect that there's something not right in that relationship and you're not sure what it is, why not go to that person and say, brother, sister, friend, husband, wife, can you please just tell me, I, I feel like there's a bit of a distance here and I don't, know, I don't know what happened. There's a decent chance I did something. Could you please explain it to me? I'd love to make this right so that we can enjoy fellowship again. It starts with an inward look, you being willing to investigate your heart and acknowledging I might be the cause. I often think of the story where Peter has denied the Lord. And after the third denial, the Bible tells us that Peter is standing just without the, uh, of the room where Jesus is. And Jesus, he turns and he locks eyes with Peter. And right then, it all comes rushing back into Peter's mind. Oh dear, he told me I would do this. I can't believe it's happened. Oh, what a mistake. And the Bible says Peter went out and wept bitterly. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Let the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ look over your soul. Search me. Try me. See if there be any wicked thing in me. Right? And if there is, when God puts his finger on that, that'll be enough. His finger touching your heart to soften your heart. Say, God, thank you for showing me that. And in order to make it right, the pivotal point in getting back on track is you saying, God, I'm sorry. Genuine God, I'm sorry. The next thing I want to talk about from this passage, verses 18 and 19, a thorough consideration. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven 
and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Think about what you've done and who you've offended. Think about it. And I want you to make a thorough consideration. Here, the reason I say thorough, because we think inwardly, we go, yep, I messed up. And that leads to this thought. I messed up, now I look bad. And if that's as far as you're going to consider this situation, it's not going to lead to a powerful apology that, that acts as a pivoting point in your relationship with whoever you're dealing with. That would qualify as the sorrow of this world. You, you, you feel bad because you look bad. But godly sorrow that works repentance not to be repented of is when you thoroughly consider it and go, you know, what I've done has hurt someone, whether that be God or man. And that's another thing you need to consider. The things that you've done, look at what the young man says. I will arise and go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven. First of all, I've offended God. And secondly, I've offended you. Two relationships, right? You, you, you might even be able to say he wronged his father, little f, and he wronged his father, capital F. He wronged them both. Think through what you've done. Have I disappointed that person? And in so doing, have I also disappointed God? Have I hurt them? I want you to see here, he's making a plan. This is part of the thorough consideration of what you've done. Now that I've done it, I see what I've done wrong. Now I'm going to make a plan to fix this. And part of the plan is it starts with you verbally communicating the regret that's now in your heart over what you've done. I will say unto him, I have sinned. But then secondly, verse 19, I am willing to take the punishment. I'm not worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. I will do what is necessary to make up for what I've done. This would equate to where we, we read John the Baptist saying it, first of all, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. So it's one thing to say, I'm sorry. It's another thing to say, I'm sorry. And what can I do to make it right? This is thoroughly considering the situation. I've hurt you. I want to fix it. I acknowledge it. I'm sorry. What can I do? What can I do? Now, can I say this about making an apology? Sometimes, if it is a specific thing that you have done, one occurrence of, uh, of a mistake, you go to them, please don't just walk up and say, I'm sorry. Right? Tell them what you're sorry for. List it out. I'm sorry that I said this, that I did that. Sometimes, however, like in the case with the prodigal son, there are so many individual things that he did wrong. It, it's almost impossible to articulate every single one of them. So all you can say is, man, I am sorry that I hurt you. I have sinned. And you, instead of listing out each subpoint. List out the heading, list out the category. I'm sorry because I sinned against God, that I sinned against you. It depends on the situation, which kind of an apology you need to make. Being willing to say 
to God or to man, God, sir, madam, husband, wife, what can I do to make this right? Now, Jesus, he gave us a lesson on this in Matthew 5. If you hit somebody, right, then you deserve to be hit back. Jesus said, if that's the case, though, turn the other cheek. Take, take it twice, double punishment. If you go to court and you lose the court case, you are sued, and the guy sued you to take away your coat, give him your cloak also. Right? Because as a, as a disciple of Christ, we should have known better than to have committed that crime or that offense in the first place. Do you see there in the teaching of Christ that we want to make up for what we've done wrong so that the relationships in our life come right? Sometimes the things you've done are so horribly wrong that there's nothing you can do to make them come right. Absolutely nothing. This is where you can employ what you find in Luke chapter 18. You might remember the parable that Jesus gave. He talked about a Pharisee going into the temple to pray. And he prayed thus with himself and said, I thank thee, God, that I am not as other men. I fast twice in the week. I tithe of all that I possess. I'm not like this horrible publican over here. And then we find that publican that he's referring to, he smites upon his breast, which, which was indicative of a broken heart saying, God, I, right here, this is what's broken. This is the problem. This is why I messed up. My heart was wrong. And now my heart's broken. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Sometimes what you've done is so bad, you can't make up for it. All you can do is beg for mercy. And as it pertains to the sins you've committed against God, if you've never been saved, listen, the only way to pay for your sins is death. Not just physical death, but the Bible talks about the second death which is eternally being separated from God, suffering for your sins in a lake of fire. Folks, that payment can be made, right? And unfortunately, many people will make that payment. It can be made by you. But then the relationship with God never gets fixed. You are eternally separated from Him. There's only one thing you can do. Turn to God and beg for mercy and say, God, I'm... I'm so sorry, but I acknowledge that what I did hurt you. I acknowledge that what I did caused the death of your son. And it was because, that, because you loved me and your son was willing to lay down his life, I can now be reconciled to you. I accept what Jesus Christ did for me. I believe that in him I can find mercy so that you and I can walk together again. All you can do is throw yourself at the mercy of God. And, and thank God, in the case with the prodigal son, he wasn't sure that what he was suggesting, that he could be as a hired servant, he didn't even know if his father would accept that. We know how the story turns out. The father was more than willing not only to accept his apology, but to receive him back as a son. When we go to God and say, God, I'm sorry, I've messed up so bad, there's nothing I can do to fix it, you will be blown away at how God responds to a genuine apology, the pivotal power, and how that can change the direction of your life. You will be blown away. I think of David in Psalm 51, 
that great prayer of repentance. God, I've sinned against you. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Cleanse me with hyssop. Purge me, God. Create in me a new heart, a clean heart. You know what David said? If there were sacrifices and offerings that I could give you to make up for what I've done, I'd do it. But here's the thing. In the Old Testament, there were no sacrifices you could give to find forgiveness for adultery and murder. And that's what David was guilty of. David said, I can't give you any sacrifices on an altar. The only thing I can offer you is a broken, here, uh, a broken heart. A broken and a contrite spirit, O God, thou wilt not despise. And even though he didn't deserve it, David, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He found great and unexpected mercy from God. This comes from thorough consideration. Think this through and be willing and ready not only to say but to do something about your mistakes. Number three, follow through. I won't take long on this point, but I think it's worth at least acknowledging here in verse 20, and he arose. He made a plan. I'm going to apologize. This is what I'm going to offer to do in order to make up for it. But it's not enough to simply say you're sorry. You have to be ready to do something about it. It's not enough, maybe I should start again with that thought, it's not enough to acknowledge it inwardly and go, yep, yeah, I was wrong about that. You need to then go do something about that. He arose and he went to his father. You know how many times we think through something, we go, yeah, shame. If I, if I had to do that again, I wouldn't do that. That way I messed up. I shouldn't have gotten that anger. I shouldn't have said what I said, did what I did. But then we don't care enough about the other person to actually go to them and humble ourselves and say, I'm sorry. If that relationship is important enough to you, then you need to move. You need to go to that person, follow through. And might I give you this, this advice the prodigal son did not send a letter. He did not send a text message or a WhatsApp to his dad say, sorry, pepani. He didn't. He arose and went to his father. Could I please advise you, if you owe somebody an apology, organize it so that you can be there with them and apologize. They, they've studied this, and, and I think we know this intuitively, but it's, it's fascinating that they put numbers to this. Communication is made up of more than just the spoken word. 7% of what we communicate comes through the spoken word. 38% of what we say or what we communicate is communicated by the tone in which we do it. And then 55% of what we communicate comes through in body language. That's why I say, follow through, arise, go to that person. Let them see exactly the, the position that you're in and give them a genuine apology. Don't put it off. You need more than just a formulation of the apology in your mind. You need more than just saying sorry. Follow through on that offer to make it right, whatever it takes, but follow through, follow through. And then lastly, move on. Move on. Watch how this story ends. And you know this. There's a great ending to this story. In verse 20, 
He arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him, or had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. That's as far as he got. Right there, he had planned on saying more. His father had already accepted him back, right? That was clear from his actions, his body language, if you will, from verse 20. But the son has some things weighing on his heart. He's got to, he's got to get this off. He's got to say it. Father, I'm sorry, and, and I'm not worthy. Watch the reaction of his father. The father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now listen, the younger son went into the house and made merry. He was reconciled to his father. He did not continue to beat himself up for his time in the far country. He didn't stand outside going, but God, I don't, I don't deserve to go in. Father, I don't deserve to go in. I should just stay out. I'm just going to go serve in the pig pen here. He, he didn't say that. He moved on. He apologized. It was genuine, and he moved on. Now, we could talk a lot about the father's part of this, right? If you're the one being apologized to, you need to be ready to forgive. The father sets an outstanding example here of how to receive an apology. We should be ready to forgive. Unfortunately, too often, we end up playing the role of the older brother in this case. We've already looked at his reaction. The older brother was in the field and when he heard all the noise, he went to check it out. He heard that his younger brother had come home and that everybody was rejoicing and he got angry about it. He couldn't move on. He couldn't move on. The younger son did not have to continually go to the father every day and go, Father, are we still okay today? Are we still okay today? He accepted the forgiveness and he moved on. I find this to be true. We, we, we apologize, right? And then the other person says, listen, it's fine. We're good. And then we hold a grudge against ourselves and we fail to move on. This is the pivotal power of an apology. It not only reconciles you to that person, horizontally or vertically, reconciles you to God, but it frees you from the guilt or the burden of that sin, you don't have to continually carry it around going, look at how horrible I'm, I am and look at what I did. Listen, we acknowledge you did something wrong, but we're, we're going to put that behind us and move on. Many of you have no doubt heard this phrase, and, and it, it stems from the Bible. Forgive and forget, right? Now, that is a, a, there's a biblical uh, a verse and a concept behind that in the book of Hebrews. Uh, the writer there is quoting something from the Old Testament, but there's a verse in Hebrews 10 that says, God will remember our iniquities no more. So that's where we get the idea of forgive and forget. But let me ask you something. Can God actually forget anything? How about we, we think about it the other way? Can God remember anything? Can God remember anything? Because in order to remember something, he would have first had to have forgotten it. Isn't that true? As we usually use the word remember, 
And as we usually think about the word forget, God cannot forget or remember anything, right? God knows everything all the time. However, God, you can read many times in the Bible where it says God remembered so-and-so. Right? I think of Genesis 8 where Noah's in the ark and God remembered Noah. Well, it's not as if God had forgotten that Noah was in the ark. What it is is there were other things on the forefront of God's mind that he was dealing with. And when it says God remembered Noah, God knows that Noah is there, but he brings Noah to the forefront and says, now we're going to deal with this. This is number one on my to-do list. And it becomes a fixture now. It is fixed in front of God. I'm staring, dealing right with it. With that in mind, let's now talk about God forgetting and remembering our iniquities no more. What does he mean? You can even look at the original language behind this. and The same truth will be borne out. God does not fixate on our sins. God knows that we messed up in the past. God is aware of the fact that I made X, Y, Z mistakes. He knows that. But he's no longer keeping it in the forefront of his mind. He's not staring right at it, fixating on it. Because if he did, it would act as, an, as a barrier between him and I. When somebody has said you're forgiven, what they are saying, they're not saying I'm going to forget that you ever did it. They are going to act as if it's a thing of the past that you've learned from that mistake. And instead of fixating on it, they're going, as they say in Brooklyn, to forget about it. And listen, I'm not going to let that continue to be a stumbling block to our relationship. Now, if he is able to move on like that, he should we should never forget that somebody made a mistake because that's part of experience. And experience will help us not to make further mistakes in the future. Right? So you understand there's, in one sense, you can forget about it, in another sense, you'd always hang on to the experience so that you learn from it. You don't fixate on it. You don't dwell on it. Now, if that person has moved on, the power of an apology is that now that you have repented genuinely, you can move on. You can move on. Don't fixate on it. Look, in verse 24, this my son was dead. He remembers the old condition of his son. My son, he was lost. He remembers that. He knows that it happened, but he's not fixating on it. What is he fixating on? He's alive again. He's found. Now it's time to rejoice. Let's concentrate on that. It's time to move on. For some of you, you've been hanging on. You, you apologized 10, 20, 30 times for that thing that you did, and you're not allowing yourself to move on. The pivotal power of an apology allows you to get on with your life. It's behind me. I've done what I can. I'm doing what I can to make it right. On we go. Move on. Rejoice in the newfound relationship you can have with God and with man. As I mentioned earlier, with this story, the prodigal son didn't know. Now, we're just talking humanly speaking, right? The prodigal son did not know how his father would react. Now, I understand the parable is about God and the two sons represent on one side the self-righteous Pharisee and the other side the publicans and harlots that uh, lived an outwardly wicked life. I understand that aspect of it, but humanly speaking, this prodigal son didn't know, is my father going to be angry? Am I going to have to be a hired servant? Right? He didn't know. 
God has given us a promise of his mercy. God has told us that if we think inwardly, thoroughly consider, rise up, head home, we have got to take those steps and say, God, I'm sorry. I, I took for granted every blessing you've put in my life. I used it for my own selfish purposes and lusts. And God, I've just made a mess. And I, I want to be a part of your... I'm not worthy to be in your family. I just want to serve you. I want to be used of you somehow. And before you can even finish the apology, God says, listen, you draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. He has promised us that if we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, trust what he's done as the sacrifice for our sins, the relationship is right. We are promised reconciliation. We know what we're getting into. So what's the only thing stopping somebody from enjoying the Father's house, putting on that robe and that ring and the shoes on your feet and, and walking a new path? The pivotal power of an apology. Think inwardly, thoroughly consider it, Follow through. Take action on what you realize. And then you can move on walking with God, walking in the light. Amen. I hope you take some time today. Open up your heart. Say, God, search me. Try me. See if there's anything in my heart that's offensive to you or offensive to others. And give me the grace to make it right. Father, thank you this morning for the time and the opportunity to go through these through this story, through these points. And Lord, I, I mean not. You know my heart in this, God. I'm not trying to make people uh, have over much sorrow at all. But I do, Father, see the power of a genuine apology and what a difference it can make in any relationship. And, and Lord, for those that are in desperate need of making that apology today, I do pray that you would just as you looked on Peter and, and stirred up conviction, I pray that your eyes would pierce down through, through the heavens into that heart, that hardened heart, and begin to soften it and help them to see the damage that they've done. And God, give them the grace to make it right. Thank you for the promise that we have that if we come home, you'll accept us. God, thank you for the mercy, the undeserved mercy we find through Christ. Thank you for making a way for us to come home. And if there are any people listening to this program that have never been saved, might this be the day, Father, please, that they come running home to hear the Father say there is no condemnation. The sins have been paid for. Welcome home. Oh, God, might they hear that today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.